welcome to Easter Sunday at Grace Church. My name's Chris Jackson. I'm one of the pastors, and I get to bring the, the message or the sermon or the talk, if we're cool and trendy, I guess. But um, um, why don't you open up your Bibles, if you brought them, to the book of John, chapter 14. I'm going to read two scripture passages, and then I want to ask a question of the children. I think we have our elementary age kids in the room. In fact, if you're in elementary school, can you wave at me? Let me just see where you are. Okay, I've got a big question coming up. So John 14, verse 1 is where we'll start, though. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his followers, and this passage occurred on the Thursday night before what we now call Easter Sunday. So Jesus Christ was crucified on Friday. We call it Good Friday, and uh, then we culminate Holy Week on Easter Sunday today where Jesus defeated death and sin and came out of the grave uh, uh, in, in power and life. Well, all of that actually kicked off on Thursday. On Thursday night, Jesus had his last supper with his followers. And that was the night when he was betrayed, he was arrested, he was sent to his first of five trials. And in that moment, before everything kicked off, Jesus said these words in John 14, 1. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas, one of his followers, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus made the classic statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then our second passage that I'll quickly read is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. And the apostle Paul is speaking in this passage, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, Easter Sunday, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And that, of course, is just a euphemism for some have died. And last of all, he appeared to James. And then finally, he appeared also to me. So kids, here's your big question. Have you ever done something wrong by accident? Have you ever accidentally done something wrong or bad? Has that ever happened with you? Have you ever accidentally spilled your juice at the kitchen table? It wasn't like you flung it in dad's face. You accidentally, or did you ever accidentally break something in your house? You didn't mean to do it. You didn't do it on purpose. You just did it on accident or um, Maddie was, oh, she was horrible at this. She would always accidentally forget her backpack at school. You ever accidentally forgotten your backpack? Or, Matt, boy, I'm picking on Maddie today. Maddie's 15 now, but when she was really small, she would never feed our dog. She always forgot. She wasn't trying to be cruel. She just accidentally forgot 
to do it. So have you ever done anything wrong by accident? Okay, um, follow-up question. When you did something wrong by accident, did you get in as much trouble as you would have gotten in if you had done it on purpose? Do you get in less trouble when you do something bad by accident versus on purpose? I mean, your teachers, and you grown-ups, you can listen in on this too. Your, do, do your, your spouse or your loved ones or your guardians, do we get in less trouble when we do something by accident versus on purpose? I mean, I mean of, of course, we get in less trouble by accident. We get in less trouble when we do something wrong by accident because there's not a lot of thought behind it. When we do something wrong on purpose, there is thought behind it. In fact, we call that premeditation. And, and if I hurt you by accident, oh, it's, it's terrible that I hurt you. I don't want you to be hurt, but it wasn't premeditated. I didn't do it on purpose. However, um, if I do something intentionally, there's premeditation, and that's very different. In fact, in our law enforcement or in our legal system, we know there's a big difference between accidental manslaughter and premeditated murder. Now, it's true when you're a kid, but it's also true as a grown-up. It's true in life. Um, my daughter, Amber, was just a couple weeks ago in a horrible car accident. I actually have a picture of her car. She um, was coming down Baldy Road, got in a horrendous accident. Um, uh, the seatbelts, and some people are saying angels, saved her life. Uh, but after her accident, the insurance company had to do a little investigation to make sure it was an accident. They wanted to make sure that she hadn't done something on purpose like Snapchatting while she was driving or driving too fast or having the music too loud. They wanted to make sure it was an accident, and it was an accident. What happened as she was coming downhill around a corner, her front left tire blew, and when the tire blew, it caused the car to careen onto its side and, and spin down the hill. A couple of weeks before Amber's accident, Jessica, my wife, was in a car accident, and here's a, a picture of Jessica's car. It, um, not as bad as, as Amber's, and both Jessica and Maddie are fine, although we are a little bit nervous to drive now. We, I, I think we decided um, we're, we're, we're scared of intersections. I think we're going to get around like this um, <laughs> from, for a little while at least till we get our courage back, but, but Jessica is not going to be in trouble with the car insurance company because it was an accident. The other driver, however, was text messaging when she collided um, in the back of Jessica's car. And so she will be responsible with the car insurance company because it was on purpose. Now, she didn't hit Jess on purpose, but it was premeditated. She chose on purpose to text while driving. And um, I know that we understand this idea. We all realize that when you do something on purpose, it's different than doing something by accident. So here's why I'm saying this on Easter Sunday. The Bible teaches that you were created on purpose by a God of purpose for a purpose. And can I say that one more time? You were created on purpose by a God of purpose and for a purpose. And what we celebrate on Easter Sunday when we talk about the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, that's the portal or the doorway to step into this purpose of God. Any of you ever read Harry Potter or see any of the movies? Do you remember the port key? The port key was something that if you touched it, it would whisk you away into another place. 
Or if you've watched um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the wardrobe was a portal. It was a doorway, and if you stepped into it, you would go from this world into the land of Narnia. So Easter Sunday, it's all about the portal of the cross of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus, and how it introduces us to purpose. So here's what I want to do for a few minutes. I want to give you seven principles of purpose. And that probably sounds like a really long sermon, but it won't be. I want to give you seven principles of purpose. When we study purpose in the Bible, we come up with seven essential principles about this idea of having a purpose. And then I want to show you my dad's favorite cartoon. And then I'm going to pull a few thoughts out of these two scripture passages that we read. So seven principles of purpose. Number one, God is a God of purpose. Now, in case any of you have forgotten where you are today, let me just remind you that you're sitting in a Christian church on Easter Sunday. So the presupposition in this room today is that there is a God of love and power in the universe. And that God is a God of purpose. In fact, over in um, the Old Testament, in Isaiah 46, verse 10, God says, I make known the end from the beginning." From ancient times, what is still to come, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You are not an accident. You you were not conceived by accident. Your, Your parents may have thought that you were conceived by accident. Sometimes parents are surprised by conceptions, but but just because your parents might have been surprised. That was not your beginning. The Bible teaches us that your beginning did not begin on the night that your mom and dad had sex. And when I said that in the first service, I had some kids cover their eyes and their ears. And so there's parents having awkward conversations with their children today. But, but the Bible teaches that your beginning did not begin at that moment. Your beginning stretches clear back to the heart and the mind and the purpose of God. God is a God of purpose. And so number two, since God, who is a God of purpose, is also the creator of the universe and the author of life, then number two, everything in life has a purpose. Um, In our English dictionary, we read that the word purpose means the reason why something exists. There's a reason why everything exists, but... (laughs) I probably need to mention number three because number three is not every purpose is known. I've had people say, well, what's the purpose of body odor? What's the purpose of mosquitoes? Or or sometimes people ask really deep questions like, what's the purpose of pain? Or what's the purpose of suffering? Or what's my purpose? Why am I here? Um, Even though not every purpose is known, it is super important that we wrestle with the purpose question because number four Wherever purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Um, If I don't know the purpose of this microphone cord and I try and use it as a leash to walk my dog, if I try and swing from it, um, you think I might abuse the purpose of the microphone and damage it? See, the word abuse comes from the idea of abnormal use. If a parent doesn't know the purpose of a child and they they abnormally use that child. We have a name for that, don't we? We call it child abuse. If I don't know the purpose of of a wife 
and I mistreat Jessica, you could charge me with spousal abuse. Sometimes if a person can't responsibly handle medications or, or substances, we might eventually say that they have a substance abuse problem. Have you ever seen a human? Have you ever seen a loved one? Have you ever seen a human? Have you ever seen someone that you love not understand their purpose? And since they don't understand their purpose, they abuse themselves. It's like every decision they make just hurts themselves over and over because they don't understand their purpose. Wherever purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. But number five, um, when you're trying to figure out the purpose of a thing, if you want to know the purpose of a thing, don't ask the thing. If you want to know the purpose of a thing, don't ask the thing because it usually doesn't know. Because number six, purpose is found in the mind of the creator. No one knows the purpose of a thing or a person like the creator or the author. In fact, did any of you see um, the movie Inception with my buddy Leonardo DiCaprio? You saw that movie? How many saw, how many saw Inception? Okay, so you remember the spinning top at the end? How many think this, the top kept spinning? How many of you think it fell over? And the rest of you that are intrigued, you'll just have to figure out what the big deal is. But this is a big deal if you've seen Inception. Nobody knows if the top keeps spinning or if it topples over. You know, the only person who knows is the screenplay writer, the person who wrote the story. They're the only one who knows. Does it keep spinning or does it not spin? Purpose is found in the mind of the creator. And number seven, and this is humongous, purpose is the key to fulfillment. You know, as a pastor, I professionally observe people, and I see so many people struggling with purpose. Why am I here? Why, what am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I the way I am? Have you ever heard the term sweet spot? Anybody, anybody play baseball or golf or tennis or ping pong? The sweet spot is the section on the bat or the clubs or the, the paddle where when you connect with the ball there, it's, it's magic. It's effortless. It feels right. The ball just soars. You know, your purpose is your sweet spot. When you find your purpose, it doesn't mean life is easy, but life becomes more effortless. Life begins to flow more. Life is more fun and it's more fulfilling. But a lot of people go through life like they're trying to assemble a puzzle, but they don't have the picture on the box. And when that's how we're trying to put our life together, yeah, we get lucky once in a while. And sometimes it fits, but it's mostly frustrating. But when you see the picture on the box, you get this, oh, okay, moment. And you realize, okay, this is why I have this personality and this skill set instead of those. This is why I have this family of origin. Okay, this is why I've gone through these things, because that's where God's taking me. Because this is who God is creating me to be. Purpose is the key to fulfillment. And the portal to our purpose is Jesus Christ. Um, consider this statement for a second. You are the way you are because of why you are. You are the way you are because of why you are. If I swiped your suitcase at the airport when it came down off of the, uh, off of the luggage rack, I could rummage through your suitcase and based on the contents in your bag, I could guess pretty accurately where you've been. Well, God has pre-packed your life for where he's taking you. So when we discover um, why we are this way and we step through the portal of Jesus Christ, um, we begin to touch a sense 
of purpose. You are the way you are because of why you are. Now, can I show you my cartoon? So my dad died um, almost a year ago, and about a week will be right at the one-year anniversary of when my father died. He was born in 1946, and his favorite cartoon as a kid was uh, produced in 1952. It was a Walt Disney cartoon. So he was six years old, and the cartoon was called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Any of you super old people remember Lambert the Sheepish Lion? Um, it's this, this fun little story of a, of a lion cub named Lambert who gets accidentally uh, delivered to a bunch of sheep. When the stork is bundling up the, the basket, because, you know, everybody came from a stork, uh, the, lamb, uh, the lambs get Lambert added to the mix by accident because of the name. But by the time the stork remembers uh, the, the, the issue and finds the problem, and before he can whisk Lambert over to Africa where he belongs, Lambert has already bonded with one of the mama sheep. And Lambert grows up thinking he's a sheep, but he never fits in. He feels unattractive. They make fun of him constantly. And whenever they play their little headbutting games, he gets knocked out because a lion's skull was not made to headbutt with sheep. And so the cartoon is about eight minutes long, but I wanted to show you the last three minutes because sometimes it's the simplest things like a 1952 cartoon that can actually speak to the human soul. So look at the last three minutes of Lambert the Sheepish Lion. So can you relate to Lambert? Or do you have a loved one who can relate to this little simple cartoon? Have you ever, have you ever felt like a lion trying to fit in with lambs? Or have you ever spent your entire life trying to prove you're a lion when actually you are a lamb? Uh, the, we, we can go through our whole life needing to find a portal that will take us to our purpose. The portal to your purpose is Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the Christian message in a sentence. Your purpose is to know your heavenly father and find your home in him. Jesus said, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. Now, as Western, largely non-Jewish readers, when we read John 14, we miss some nuance that's really, really powerful. Um, when Jesus said those words, in my father's house, there are lots of rooms. Remember, I read that a little while ago. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and grab you and take you to be with me that where I am there, you may be also. When we read that, it sounds nice and it makes us think of, of heaven or something like that. But what we don't understand as non-Jewish readers is that when Jesus said those words, when he said, my father's house has many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be too. Jesus was speaking common, familiar betrothal language. In first century Palestine, when a young man was betrothed to his bride-to-be, there came a point in the relationship when he would say these words. It was a formal statement. And he would say these words to her, and that meant it's now time. We've progressed to the point where I am going to go to my father's house and build an addition on the home where we can live together. 
See, it was a communal culture back then. Families stayed together and just kept adding on to the house and it got bigger and bigger. And that was the custom for the groom-to-be to go back to father's house to create a room or a bridal suite where the young bride could live with him in his father's home. So when Jesus said these words, all of the disciples would have understood that Jesus was saying, listen, I'm betrothed to you. I am going to be married to this organization that we're going to call the church uh, for better, for worse, in all of its glory or its weakness with its shortcomings and its flaws. You have a purpose and it's found in home with me. In fact, um, listen to uh, Psalm 84 verse 1. The psalmist said, how lovely is your dwelling place or your home, Lord Almighty, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So the psalmist was saying, from the inside out, I am aching to find my home with you. Remember, you are the way you are because of why you are. Why do you ache for home? Why do you ache for love and belonging and beauty and paradise. You ache for those things because you were made for those things. There's a bridal suite with your name on it. There's a reserved placard at the Father's table with your name on it, and nobody can take your place. Through Jesus Christ, we step into our purpose, and we get reconnected to our Heavenly Father so our hearts can finally come home. Let me, in closing, pull a couple of thoughts out of that second passage that I read. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. The word gospel, incidentally, is not a Christian word. Christianity didn't make up this word. The word gospel just means good news. Uh, So there were lots of gospels. In fact, the Roman Caesars of that day had gospels. There was actually a gospel of Caesar. Do you know what the gospel of Caesar said? The gospel of Caesar said, if you will bow down and worship me, you can come under the protection and the prosperity of the Roman Empire. And Paul said, I've preached to you the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and on that gospel, you have taken your stand. And just a quick tangent, I love that phrase, that you've taken your stand on this. Because people today, listen, we need more people who are willing to take a stand for something. We need people who will take a stand for justice and truth and the welfare of humanity. And uh, I love it because here at Grace, we're friends with some people like that. Uh, Here at Grace, we're friends with a couple named Don and Bridget Brewster who live in Saipak, Cambodia. It's a little village outside of Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia. It's the place in the world where human sex trafficking has the highest concentration. And they put their ministry right there and they've taken a stand to see the abolition of human trafficking in our generation. We're also friends with a lady who works in Pomona. Her name is Donna Dalgovan, and she's taken a stand to see people who are homeless or people who have been down on their luck, cared for and treated with dignity. But I just, I love this statement. Paul says, I've brought you this good news and you've taken a stand on it. And then he said that by that gospel, you are saved which implies that we need some saving in our lives. In verse three, he said, and this is where we move to Easter. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died 
And by the way, you don't need to have any faith to believe that. You don't have to have any Bible faith to believe that Christ died. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was history. Just like the events in Napoleon's life are history or certain events in George Washington's life. Whether you believe in God or not, Jesus Christ died. He was crucified by the Roman Empire. By the way, he was not the only person to be crucified by the Roman Empire. The Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. They crucified hundreds of people. In fact, at one point during Rome's occupation of Israel, they were doing so many crucifixions, you could not walk down a street in Jerusalem without seeing somebody hanging on a cross. And crucifixion was so painful, they had to invent a word to describe it. Did you guys invent words in your family? My family has a whole alternate language that I'll probably never share with you. We've made up so many words in my family, but they had to make up a word to describe the pain of crucifixion. Anybody know what that word is? Yeah, the, the word is excruciating. It's a Latin word. Ex means out of, and crucia is the cross. It was this brutal, horrendous death. And Paul reminds them that Christ died, that's history, for our sins according to the Scripture. Have you ever sinned? You know, we started by talking about the bad things we've done by accident. You ever done anything wrong on purpose? Have you ever done something bad and it wasn't by accident? It wasn't like a, oops, I didn't mean to. It was, no, I knew exactly. Have you ever lied or cheated or schemed or mistreated or um, neglected or lived as a narcissist or, or lived at the expense of others? Um, Paul said that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried. He underscores the idea that Christ died for our sins. Here's why. The Bible teaches us that the price tag of sin is death. So I want you just to think about your life for a second. Almost every area of pain or brokenness or regret can be traced directly back to human sin. Human beings, maybe it was you, maybe it was someone else that did it to you. Human beings lived in a way that was contrary to God's plan and it hurt you and it messed you up and some of us are still in therapy because of it. Sin brings death every time. And so when it says that Jesus died for our sins, Paul wants to make sure we know he got the job done. He didn't just die, he died and was buried for our sins and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then I love this. And he also appeared. So he was crucified and buried for our sins. And he was raised and he appeared for our life. Jesus appeared to about 500 eyewitnesses back in the day. And he's appeared to billions of people since then. Um, he's the portal to our purpose. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So a cross and an empty tomb, gosh, it sounds so foolish, and it always has, by the way, and yet it has impacted the lives, and it has served as a portal for the lives of billions of people, and it's always done that too. And out of all the places that you could be today, maybe you needed to be in an Easter service where you were going to see a cartoon that was going to remind you that you're a lion, that you have a purpose, that there's more to life than the life you've lived up to this point. And maybe you've lived an incredible life. People can have incredible lives without Jesus. 
we, we can do incredible things and be incredible people, but there's a life that comes from Jesus that can't be found in any other place. Maybe you needed to be in a service today where you would be reminded that there's a bridal suite with your name on it, that there's a seat at the Father's table with your name on it, that God's inviting you and calling you to be a part of his tribe and to find your place and to bring your heart home. Let me have the worship team um, rejoin me up here today. Um, I, I referenced the, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How, how many of you have either read that book or you've seen the movies? There are seven books in the set. They've made three movies. Some people don't realize that, that those books are spiritual allegories. So if, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know anything about all of this kind of stuff, you may not realize that those are uh, fictional mythic, epic-type stories that are actually telling this gospel message. And the Jesus Christ character in the Chronicles of Narnia is a lion named Aslan. And in the very last book, there's a scene where Aslan creates a portal in thin air. He takes a tree, and he uses a tree to create a doorway, and nobody can see what's on the other side. It's, it's a doorway just in the middle of the air. It's interesting that we call the cross a tree. And he makes this portal, and he tells the children that they have to step through this. It might not have been book seven. Now I'm, now I'm doubting myself, but somebody can correct me later. But um, you Narnia geeks can correct me later. But the point still stands that the children have to walk through the portal to get back home. But then there's another race of people that just don't fit in this world. They were made for a different place. And Aslan gives them the opportunity to step through the portal into the life they were created to live. They're a little bit afraid. Nobody knows exactly what's on the other side. But finally, this one young man says, I I'll be willing to go. And so Aslan breathes on him. And in the stories, whenever Aslan would breathe on a character, strength and courage would fill the soul. And it says the young man squared his shoulders and he took a step through the portal and was transported into purpose. And in Christianity, the portal is the simple affirmation that, that I believe and I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord, the King, the champion of my life. In, in saying I believe, it doesn't mean I understand it all. It doesn't mean I, I have everything figured out. It doesn't mean I have no doubt or I have no questions. You will always have questions. There is an element of faith to this life of faith. But what we have is we have history that brings us to Good Friday. We have history that brings us to the crucifixion. And then we have faith and eyewitnesses and personal experience that let us know there's more to the story than Good Friday. The story wraps around the weekend to Easter Sunday where there's a cross and an empty tomb that becomes the portal to life. You are loved, you are destined, you are purposed, and the portal to that is the Lord. Mm -hmm.